Hi guys, I'm Jamie Oliver and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 10 years of food radio. How amazing. For the past decade, they've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and so much more. It's been 10 years, and they're just getting started. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit corin.com. Happy New Year, and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. If you have not watched the finale of Netflix's The Final Table and you don't want anything spoiled, please stop now and watch the whole series because we have the show's winner on today's episode. And the winner is Chef Timothy Hollingsworth of Odium right here in Los Angeles. We talked to him about growing up in California, him cooking at the French Laundry, what it took to open up his own restaurant, and why he decided to go on to compete and eventually win the world's first global cooking competition show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy some New Year's treats on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We talk about food, we talk about music, with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, Snacky Tunes. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half of your host, Darren Bresnitz, sitting with Timothy Hollingsworth at Free Play and winner of the first season of The Final Table. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Uh, great way to end the year. Yeah, not bad. Um, I always have to ask because now with the binge and like, there's no like, and this is the final of a competition, when did, you, when did the accolades and when did the like, good job start coming in? I mean, to be honest with you, it was, it was insanely fast. I mean, it was probably with, I was, I was shocked because I was like, did somebody really just watch the whole season? Like, it hasn't even been 24 hours. Yeah, that's, uh, that's always the crazy... Because you start to go, how are you spending your life? Yeah, like, what do you do? What do, you do? do you have a full-time job or, like... <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're going to talk to a little bit about doing the show and things like that, but I want to go back uh, to the beginning uh, from Texas. Yeah. Uh, grew up in Texas, but then uh, moved out to California. Yeah. Um, what was it like growing up in California? Uh, what was it, what, do you remember the move? Yeah, I do remember the move. We drove out and uh, like in a, you know, my dad drove the U-Haul, my mom drove the Ford Aerostar van, and uh, we drove all of our stuff out here. We were five kids at the time, my mother and my dad. Um, it was a long drive, if I remember that. Um, and then getting settled in here, it was it was sort of it was sort of strange. I mean, we lived close by family, my mom's aunts, um, or my my aunts, my 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 mother's parents and stuff like that to come out here, and we really didn't have any family, so it was just like us as a core uh family and then we had we had one like family friends who my dad was working with at the time and um so it was a little strange for me coming out here but ultimately adapted um got rid of the y'all into and started saying you guys and uh used to the california sunshine um your mom was a big cook growing up right got dinner on the table every night yeah uh what would she make what what did uh how did that inspire you or did you just take it for granted like I did when I grew up and was like, oh, 
mama's dinner, a three course dinner on the table tonight. Yeah, I don't think I really appreciated it until I like until you know until after being a chef actually after years of being a chef and and sort of understanding what that meant and how that was different from everybody else. But she would make stuff like chicken and dumplings, um, Sunday Sunday roast. Oh, uh, so this wasn't even just like here's steak and potatoes. It's actual coursed food. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, and we always had dessert. We always had like. Um, she was. She made like cobblers and pies and like homemade cookies. You know, I never, never had store bought cookies growing up, ever. Um, having a kid now, that's <laughs> crazy. That it was uh, homemade desserts and cookies and cakes and things like that. Um, and you worked for your dad growing up, right? You did construction. Um, what was that like? What did you uh, learn? Because I know that a lot of what you the work ethic and that type of stuff from your dad has come with you for your whole career. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's exactly it. Is that worth ethic? That um, sort of attention to detail. Um, you know, doing things correctly. Uh, my dad was. Uh, I mean, if you if you think about what construction is and what cooking is, there's a lot of similarities. It's a very you know, both of them are very blue collar jobs. Um, both of them are very. Um, um, you you you're learning a skill, a trade. You know, it's not it's not something that like I'm like, oh yeah, I went to construction school and now I can build a house, right? You know, or I went to cooking school and now I can run a restaurant. You know, so there's 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 skills that you have to develop, and and you know, repetition is ultimately how you develop those skills. And I think that um, I'm not you know I'm not very good at construction anymore. I haven't used those, those tools, but you know, I I, uh, I do I do mess around at our house and. Um, you know, do some drywall and like painting and whatnot, but and I'm sure it helps when you've had to build out the multiple restaurants to know at least planning and if someone's trying to get one over you. Yeah, I mean, I can read a set of plans. I can understand what you know what is supposed to look right and what's not supposed to. I might not be able to do it 100 percent anymore, but you know, I can tell you know I can tell you that the tiles aren't straight and like you know, <laughs> and those are the kinds of things that my dad. Yeah, you know, it was really funny actually building Odium. My dad would my dad would come down to visit and we'd walk the site and he'd like point out a bunch of stuff and he'd be like you know you need to talk to him about this you need to talk to him about that so he I mean that's he's pretty still, awesome still teaching me that's pretty awesome <laughs> um so you were construction for a good chunk of high school uh what made you want to change and uh start working in a restaurant I mean it just happened to, it just happened to deal, deal with um <laughs> you know actually being into um cooking uh, or, or a job that I can do while still working in high school so you know, working with my dad, he was, he was a tough guy to work for, honestly. You know, he was, he was very, very intense. No nepotism? No. <laughs> Probably the reverse, right? Yeah. Where it's, like, even harder? Oh, way harder. Yeah. Way harder, yeah. I mean, the, his expectations were very, very high, always. Yeah. Um, like, I would, bar I remember borrowing the tiller from the neighbors as a kid, and literally, you know, before we returned it, I had, like, the thing looked brand new because I had to detail the whole thing. Wow. He's you know, that, kind of, that kind of guy. So, um, I wanted a little bit of a break from that. Um, and I wanted a job that I can, you know, I could work at that was that was easy to work during high school. So I get off get off of school and go work in a restaurant, wash dishes. So, obviously, washing dishes. It's odd. I've talked to a few chefs now, and I feel that the I started washing dishes and now I'm a line cook. That story is maybe like the last generation of chefs. I feel it doesn't happen as much anymore. No, I don't think so. I think that there's a there's unless you're in a small town, yeah. You know, I think that that doesn't really happen. I mean, there's there's sort of classes of people that are in restaurants, and yeah. And unfortunately, people don't start out in that sort of that sort of way anymore. 
Um, but, you know, I think it was important. I actually enjoyed washing dishes. I, I washed dishes for a while, too. Um, it's I, nice. I, I liked, like, the idea of, like, clearing the, the whole, you know, like, resetting. I mean, like, can I get all these dishes cleaned and put away before the next round came? Can like, I get, how, can how I get that pot? Yeah. Like, looking near. You know, it's like, it's like oh, that, that's, that won't come out? I'll show you. Yeah. I'll yeah. show you. Little elbow grease. Little elbow grease. Um, <laughs> How long until you were there, till someone noticed that you maybe had more to offer than clean pots? Uh, how did you get bitten by the food bug? I mean, I think it was about six months into it. You know, um, it was a very small restaurant, so there wasn't a lot of employees. Um, so, I, you know, even as a dishwasher, I was touching food mm-hmm. in the prep capacity. Um, and then ultimately when I graduated from high school and then I have my summer free where I can work full time. Yeah. Um, you know, and during the day, there would be a lot of times where uh, they would train me to work to do different things. So I would, you know, I learned how to make pate, I learned how to make sausages, I moved into pastries and learned how to make like Ghetto Saint Honore, chocolate success, chocolate uh, cakes, um, fruit tarts, different, different like classic French pastries, um, which was completely new to me. I mean, I'd help my mom in the kitchen, but like not nothing, <laughs> not like that, <laughs> and also not. I mean, there's at home cooking and then there's restaurant cooking. Yeah. Um, but also, how lucky it was to be at a restaurant that was actually doing that type of food in a small town in California when you were growing up. I mean, that, that was, you know, that's a huge chance that, like, you know, there's certain things in life where that help you kind of develop you who you are. And, like, make, I mean, I could have gotten a job at some hole in I you know. Could have been like, at Subway. Exactly. You I know? mean, that could have been the job. Yeah. You know? But instead, you know, things fell into place and this was the job and ultimately trans. Trans, uh, you know, transferred into what I do today, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. So, do you remember the moment? Do you remember the moment when uh, you said, "This is my career. This is what I want to do. I found my calling. There's no other option." I don't remember that specific moment as much as I remember just sort of like I would. There was a time where you know I started getting into it. I was still looking into like college. I was looking into going into the military and the Marines. I was going to do reconnaissance. Um, and then ultimately I was like, you know what, um, you know, I, I'm into this cooking thing. Like I, I started to buy cookbooks. Um, French Laundry Cookbook was the first book that I ever bought. Um, the, my, my chef at the time introduced me to uh, Le, Le Repertoire de la Cuisine, which is, um, you know, sort of this classic French cookbook um, with the recipes that would just literally list the ingredients in addition. You had to go off and make it. So there wasn't really a recipe. It was just kind of a guideline. Um, and those things really inspired me. And I, I would wake up in the morning and I would read my cookbooks. And at break, I would read my cookbooks. And at night, when, before I went home, I'd read my cookbook. And, like, I was literally, like, you know, just kind of fully immersed into this. And and um, and ultimately, I said, okay, I want to I wanna, I wanna do this. Like, what am I going to do? Am I going to go to culinary school? So I flew myself out to New York. It was uh, my first time in an airplane. I was, like, 19 years old. Um, first time traveling by myself. So I landed in New York City. And... Uh, and I eat at Le Cirque. Then I take Legend. The, yes. Shake the train up to Hyde Park. Um, I spent a week at the Culinary Institute, take a train back down, eat at Ducasse at the Essex House. I remember I spent like $250 um, by myself on lunch. Which, by the way, even now today is like a, okay, that's a big check. Yeah. Yeah. That's today. <laughs> this is with no alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a lot of money. But I, I came back and I said, okay, you know, culinary school is not the route I need to go. Yeah. Like, for me, that's for me, that's not going to that's not gonna help me out, I don't well, think. Well, you had such a tactile life already working with your dad and just knowing that the best way to learn was to, to be in it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, and, and school for me, you know, it was 
it was about hanging out with girls. It was about playing sports. Sure. It was about messing around. Um, you know, I did okay in school, but you know, not 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 anything great. Um, and and at this stage in my life, you know, in like 19, 19, 20 years old, you know, probably not going to be the best student. <laughs> yeah. So, in, in reading about you, you had two choices. The, the only two guys you want to work with was, and let's just was Elaine Ducasse and Thomas Keller. Totally low bar, you know, <laughs> like super easy to get into it. But how did you say it's these guys are nothing? And then I'll say this, have the confidence of working in a small town French restaurant to go apply for the jobs. I mean, I did really, really well in that restaurant. Um, like I, to the point where within, within, you know, two or three years of working there, I'm running the restaurant while they go to France. Yeah. Um, in the kitchen aspect, at least. And um, so I was like, had this sort of natural ability and, and, and worth ethic that, that got me to the place that I needed to get to. Um, so I was very confident, you know, I was extremely confident, probably young, arrogant, naive, mm. ignorant, you know, it's like a good mix. It's a, it's a good, it helps you get there. It like, helps you get there. Like, and then I get there and I'm like, Oh shit, this is a real deal. Yeah. <laughs> but it helps you get, I mean, the, there are some things I did in, and that I, the moxie of my early twenties where yeah. I go, I would never do that. Never. Now. Right. I would never, <laughs> um, but you picked the French laundry. How did you get the job there? Uh, because it's it's one thing to say, all right, I got the cookbook, I want to work for you. It's another thing to actually get a spot in the kitchen. Yeah, so I mean, I was, I called and I made a reservation and I made sure that the chef was going to be there. And I said, I really want to talk to him and I really want to turn in my resume. Did you tell them that you were a chef at this restaurant? Yeah. Or? Okay. Yeah. And then they're like, okay, like whatever, he's going to be here this night. I mean, um, so I was like, great. So I go, I show up, we have dinner, it's amazing go back to the kitchen you know here's my resume chef yeah nice to meet you here's my card give me a call um that whole thing and i was like so you know, good thinking here's about it i'm like this is amazing <laughs> back then and like now i'm like i'm like how many cards did this guy hand out you know like well also how big was your resume it was like one restaurant oh yeah i mean i was like you know oh yeah and i did some catering on the 24 side 24.5 like, <laughs> three inch margin <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, this guy did construction, and yeah. then, uh, he's been cooking for two years. Great. Congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and so did he call you? No. I mean, I called and called and called and called and called, and then it's like finally... That, it's like that Buddhist monk thing where you just show up every day, and you just, like, <laughs> sit there, and you're like, I'm here, and I'm not going to go anywhere. I literally called so much that I wouldn't... They'd be like... Uh, I was like, yes, is uh, Chef Thomas Keller there? Um, no, may I take a message? Uh, no, no, I'll call him back. <laughs> I didn't want to leave like yeah. my name that many times. Yeah. I'm sure they recognize my voice. Until so they're like, Tim, he's not here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so then you got it, and you showed up. Do you remember your first day? I do. Uh, do I remember my first day? Yeah, I do remember my first day. So I went, I went and tried out for a position. Yeah. So I remember that day. Um, I spent the first like three hours in the garden. French on your garden, it's legendary garden, right? Not not back then. Back yeah. then, it was three raised beds in the back of Chef's house. Yeah. Um, and you're planting, like, little microgreens, and, like, you know, like, it was it was a lot of tedious work. Um, I made crepes. Uh, you know, like, I, I did, you know, I just basically hopped around and worked with people throughout that day. And then my first day, you know, starts at 5.30 in the morning. I get there at 5, probably, um, maybe a little bit before. And, um, you know, just, just go in, and, you know, they're training me how to make sauces i never made a sauce like that they're yeah. training me how to cut vegetables you know i'm using like a wuss soft grand prix knife like you can't like you can't you literally can't cut vegetables 
in the French Laundry fashion with that big, thick, you know, yeah. you beat somebody over the head with this knife. Um, so, you know, like, immediately I felt like I was out of place, um, and I was like, oh my gosh, what am I getting myself into? Um, but at the same time, you know, I was, I would be the first one there, I would be the last person to leave, and, you know, I would, I would try to soak up as much knowledge, I would surround myself with people that were better than me, um, everybody there, ironically, had worked for some big chef, you know, it's like, everybody there had a resume, me, right. you know, like, where you Well, from? you, let's be fair, you technically had a resume, <laughs> um, all right, we're gonna take a quick musical break, we're gonna come back, we're gonna talk about your time at French Laundry, talk about Odium, and then talk about uh, your win and your time on the final table. Uh, we have a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. on a whim to see if I could fit in and I felt like a proper lady and before long I met a man I fell in love you understand he was all I could think of oh 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 oh, 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 oh stand you were my first lover why'd you say you love me if I meant nothing to Why'd you say you love me and then found another? Mm-hmm. I moved to Kansas to move on. I drank whiskey until dawn. But I missed that loving. Oh, I went back to find that man. I found him and goddamn. Hey. Got a job in my hometown And I felt like a bruised woman Before long I began to think That man would be the death of me So I'm gonna kill him Oh, 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 oh Stan, you were my first lover Why'd you say you love me If I meant nothing to your Lord, oh, Stan you were undercover. Why'd you say you love me? And then you found another Lord. Oh, Stan, you were my first lover. Why'd you say you love me if I meant nothing to you? Lord, oh, Stan, you were undercover. Why'd you say you love me? And then you 
Hello and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. We are here with Timothy Hollingsworth at Free Play, still eyeing that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle game. <laughs> uh, do you, is it Free Play or do you need quarters for all your games? Uh, free Play. Very nice. Yeah. Very, very classy. <laughs> um, so you've made your way to the French Laundry. They're sort of breaking you down, building you back up. How long did it take you to find your feet? And was there a moment when you went from, okay, no one ever goes at the French Laundry like, yes, I'm here, like, I, look at me, like, cock of the walk. But was there a moment where you're like, I, I feel, like, uh, comfortable in my, in, my, in my talk here? Yeah, I mean, I think at the beginning of the time it was very difficult uh, for me because I, did, I just didn't have the culinary skills that everybody else had. Um, I mean, the comies that I was working with had been you know, line cooks at other restaurants, like real restaurants, not like small hometown restaurants. I mean, nothing against the food that, that we cook there. I mean, we cook classic French food, which ultimately gave me the fundamentals that I needed. But, you know, it wasn't it wasn't about the, you know, beautiful knife cuts and all that kind of stuff. No. Thank God it was French and I learned to like, you know, turn turn uh, carrots and potatoes and stuff like that. I mean, you had a basic <laughs> working knowledge. It was like, I have a French to English dictionary at home. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, but you work your way up and you start to really prove yourself there uh, to the point where you even got to go to New York and help open Per Se. Um, what was that moment like when the chef tapped you for that responsibility? How did it feel? What did you feel? Like, what was the line that you felt that you had crossed? But there's a few sort of pinnacle points in, in my time there, in my earlier times there. I mean, I remember one day the fish butcher called out, and I was the fish, I was the fish, like, uh, call me for the chef de parties there, uh, fish and canapé side, and um, the fish butcher called out, so that obviously affects my, my team. Yeah. Um, and so I jumped in and helped butcher the lobsters and, like, took on extra responsibilities, stayed late, um, and I remember the chef, like, you know, looking at me, watching me do this. Um, there's another time, which was not too long after that, that um, the person on cheese called out sick. And um, I worked from, you know, five in the morning until um, and, and until service started. I ended up working cheese station that night. Um, and because I was like, I'll work it, you know? And yeah. So I, I worked that station. Of course, I had help and whatnot, but um, I worked until, you know, whatever, 10, 11 o'clock at night and then went back the next morning and I think Chef saw that in me and was like, okay, this guy's, you know, this guy's serious. He's not, you know, he's not here. He's here to work. He's here to prove himself and um, those types of moments, that was, you know, that was literally from when I was a call me to like, okay, you're the person we're moving up. Yeah. You know, you're going to be the Chef de Cortina. What was it like working with Chef Keller? I mean, it was incredible. Like, the guy's, the guy's worth ethic, the guy's attention to detail, the guy's, you know, just intensity in the kitchen. And you feel the guy's presence. The guy walks in the kitchen, you oh, feel it's, it. It's intense. It, it's intense. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of like the army. It's sort of like the, the military. I mean, it could be, you know, I can go back into the kitchen right now, and he walks into the kitchen, I still feel it. You know, yeah. like you know, like he has that presence, and it's, it's amazing. But he was, you know, he was, he's the guy that worked lunch, went home, took a shower, worked dinner. After dinner service, he's like, hey, Tim, what fish are you having to walk in? Uh, you have salmon, you have cod, you have bronzino. Okay. You know, give me the salmon. Give me the cod. You know, and he'd, like, take down all the fish at the end of the night. Like, really, 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 really hard worker. Um, there's something to be said to be surrounded by hard workers, from your dad to Chef yeah. Keller and things like that that just instills with you a different ethic, which 
I'm not going to say as a blanket that is maybe lacking in the industry today, <laughs> but you know that type of dedication is uh, rarer. Yeah, it's rare. It is. It's rare. Um, and then in 2005, you were promoted to sous chef. Mm-hmm. How did you feel? I felt great. I mean, I, when 2004 we opened up Per Se, I yeah. was the only line cook. I was the only person that wasn't a manager to go out there in the, in the kitchen side to go out there and train. Um, the staff there and then I came back and we reopened the French Laundry um, what was it like opening up per se in New York one story give me one story <laughs> well there was a massive fire do you know about that no I do not know about so that so they literally the, the first day we're open our friends and family whatever yeah. I'm making I'm making pomme de terre for uh, uh, pomme puree for the the, the famous dish degustation de pomme de terre um, and so I'm like passing the potatoes and, um, you know, these are like Joel Robuchon potatoes. It's like, you know, 50% potatoes, 50% butter, probably more butter, to be honest with you. Um, and, more of a 40, 60 split. <laughs> and, you know, like, there's, there's, there's temperature, there's time, like, concerns with that. And all of a sudden, like, the kitchen fills up with smoke. Yeah. Um, and we think it's coming from the fireplace in the dining room. It's smoky, it's smoky. Now they're evacuating everybody. I'm sitting there, like, passing my potatoes, like, making sure that I can make my pump puree because we have to be set up for service. And if I don't have the pump puree, like, like literally that's the whole dish. Yeah. Like if I don't have that, you know, like we got to change, we got to do something. So, um, I'm like, you know, pushing through, I'm like, whatever. And then finally, the, you know, there's firemen running up and I'm like, they're like, you gotta go. Bro. So I like run down and, um, and I go like talking to everybody else. Everybody's like, you know, what's the problem? I don't know. Like, you know, could it be, could it be like from the fireplace? It's like, oh man, I forgot my recipe book. So I ran back up, I gave my recipe book and come back down. Well, you know, then I, I get to see the space. I, I don't know if it was like a week later or whatever. The next day, um, I don't really recall, but I remember walking into this space and it was literally like somebody had taken an axe to the wall, you know, fire hose all over, and you saw the most beautiful kitchen just kind of like torn through. It was really, really sad, actually. Um, and then, you know, six months later, after all the remodeling again, we, we reopened crazy that's that's my first that's my uh, per se story <laughs> first day first day um and so you come back from per se opening it up and you get bumped up and it just feels i mean was that like a, okay i've made it or not made it but here we go like i've earned this not beyond like you know the mentality is like i deserve this you know i'm here i should have but do you feel that you had earned this you were in the right to be there that you felt that you can now be at a point of uh leadership and things like that um i don't know if you ever feel that way you know i think you know in that environment i think that when we opened up when we opened up it was it was um i did really well to be honest with you um coming back in there but i was the only person that had been used to the french laundry in that format it was actually a really tough time at the french laundry because there was there was only a couple of managers one line cook and the rest of the staff was all brand new in the kitchen so you're talking about like the complete culture of the restaurant, you know, reliant on these core people. Um, before, it's like it has a, such a strong culture, you know, you bring in a cook, you bring in four cooks, it doesn't matter, like the culture is They'll there. get assimilated. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this was this was actually a tough time to rebuild the culture. Um, and it took, it took time, but I did extremely well. And because of my experience and my comfortability on the line and, and knowing the system, they relied on me a ton. Um, I was picking up a lot of the VIP dishes. I was picking up, you know, dishes that didn't normally come off my station. I was I was picking up, 
which um, which was a lot of pressure and and, and a, a huge workload, which I really really enjoyed actually. But but eventually I had to go and I had to sit down with with the chef and I said you know like the problem I was training guys and they were failing and I was like the problem is you guys put all this work on me and like I'm not complaining about it like I really enjoy it but I can't train somebody to do what I've been doing because I've been here for this long yeah you know it's so like it's not fair for this person that's coming off of the cheese station to work garmage and like you know understand what 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 that is um, if the if the whole you know, thing, and I think that was a pinnacle point where he was like, "Wow, the, you know, the, this guy's thinking big picture. He yeah. can, you know, he can see something that's that's he can take a step back and like be able to see something." Um, which that was, that, I think that was a breaking point where he was like, you know, he was he was ready for me to um, to to sort of to sort of go to the next step. Um, and that next step came uh, a few years later in 2009, where you became chef de cuisine. Now that is. For, for the three listeners at home who may not understand what that means, uh, and it's fine because we only have four listeners, so, you know. Uh, but uh, when, when you're in a place for so long, which, again, is a rare thing today, um, especially working under, like, someone like Chef Keller, someplace that's so legendary, uh, what happens when you get made CDC? Like, what is that process? What does that mean? What's the responsibility? I mean, you're running. You're running the restaurant. That's like. So normally in a restaurant, like I guess you know, back in the day, before before there was really chef-driven restaurants. So GM ran the restaurant, right? Right. And then there started to be chef-driven restaurants. Now you know Thomas owns the restaurant, so he is the head of the restaurant. Now you know Thomas is you know moving up. Yes, he's still the owner. He still runs the restaurant, but ultimately you're fulfilling his shoes. So what does that mean? You're, you're sort of running that restaurant. Yes, you have a GM. Yes, you have, you know, an amazing support staff. And yes, you have this system that you're operating in. But it's, you know, it's an incredible amount of responsibility um, that was, you know, it's, it was, it's difficult. And you, if you think about it, you're, you know, you, we had three Michelin stars. You know, we were rated number one restaurant in the world. Yep. Like, there's, there's, there's the only American restaurant at that time yeah. could ever have that honor. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, you know, where do you go from here? I mean, where do you? I mean, you I guess hope you don't go down. What you definitely can't go. There's, there's only one direction. But how do you feel uh, the responsibility and the weight, and how much wiggle room do you have to start making it sort of your restaurant? With but knowing that there is a guy at the top, like how you know? Are, can you put dishes on? Can you change the menu? You know, does the garden start to grow? Like how much of of your ideas start to come to fruition during this time? I mean, I put dishes on when I was 21 years old. So, you know, like, yes, they were, you know, it was my idea to put this dish on and they helped sort of, you know, they helped realize what that dish was and, and make turn it into a dish. But, you know, that process is from the from day one at the French Laundry. It's that's what's amazing about it is that cultural uh, aspect of just, you know, everybody influencing me. That's that's why I stayed so long. I mean, yeah. because because. You know, when I was 21, when I was 22, when I was 23, all the way through, like, I'm putting dishes on the menu at a three Michelin star restaurant. I mean, um, the, you know, and to have uh, a chef like that who is so dialed in, detail-oriented, who has that type of energy, but then also the confidence to let someone put someone on the menu, it's a rare opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's the formula of what the restaurant was. Yeah. You know, it's not necessarily you're not going to go there and have you know this dish that's been practiced for you know 
for four months before it was ever on the menu and it's so perfect but you're having nine courses that are created i mean for vips where you know be like hey hey tim what do you got for you know what do you got for the vip you know um i'm gonna do rabbit for first course and i'll be i'll do rabbit by duck you know two by two yeah um and i you know i got onions okay i got sunchokes like you know we would talk like this and we create these dishes in the moment and and be able to put them out um and it's that right there was i mean that's a it's insane if you think about it it's very insane (laughs) it's crazy it's super insane so you spend 12 years there Mm -hmm. um when did you start feeling that it was time to go um, I'd say... And by the way, can I applaud you spending 12 years at a restaurant? <laughs> <laughs> I think about a year a year into it. Uh, a year before I left, I had started feeling... Uh, maybe a, even a, maybe a year and a half. I started feeling like, okay, what's the next step for me? Yeah. I've been here for a long time. Like, I mean, you were there. You were cooking there through your 20s. Yeah, the entirety of it. And you're you also know? spending your 20s in Yachtville, which exactly. is another... I mean, I'm sure you had fun, but... Sleepy town. Sleepy town. <laughs> lights, lights off early there. Yes, for sure. It was like one bar. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, made, a, we made use of it. Made use of it. Did they name a cocktail after you? Were you there long enough? Uh, Ponches, no. But the joke is that Rosie would tell everybody that I used to wash her car, which is not true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going on the record. I never wash your car. So you're about a year out and you start going... Because, I mean, you know, some people... You did it sort of in reverse. Some people work all their way to be a CDC at a three-star Michelin restaurant under Chef Keller. But you did that. So what makes you go, like, what's next? What do, what do I want to do? Because you probably, at that point, could have written your own ticket sort of anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I think I think for me it was, it was figuring out that what the environment that I was in and what Thomas sort of his philosophy was, was, was amazing and was a huge part of my career. But ultimately, I wanted to define myself. I wanted to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, and I didn't know. I really didn't know. But I know. I knew that it was time, and I knew that I wanted that. So I took a leap and said, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave." And and I didn't have a job. I just I just you know I just was like, I need to I need time to figure out. You know I was I was I set myself up financially, or whatever, to take some time off. So you know I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna figure out what what I want. You know, and I don't even know if it was a restaurant. I didn't know. You know, I didn't know what I wanted. Right. You didn't know. Uh, but we're going to take a quick musical break. Uh, we're going to talk about you figuring out what you wanted <laughs> and doing it very well. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the final table. Uh, we have another song from the archives here on Sackatoons on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. <laughs> some sea salt over my own head Sprinkle flour to keep Satan off my doorstep And these are the habits that I can't understand Rational reflexes stupefy my super superstitious contraband. Ch- 
Chinese charms with concave mirrors peel off my sail. Special stones and crystal bones protect me until my mind overcomes the myth of my whispering behemoth. I'll never walk on the ladder. Be careful, your mirrors don't shatter. I'll never walk on the ladder. Be careful. Lucky pennies, turquoise, and fool's gold. I light up my ghost town sage. What a glass is oil, which is orb. I'll never itch my palm. Here's to my lucky dog. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant from French to Pan Asian to American. And that is why they're located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view their exquisitely designed tableware and their rarest natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit Corin.com. Hello, welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We're here with Timothy Hollingsworth, chef of Odium, winner of the final table, ex-CDC of the French Laundry. Now you have a resume. That oh, resume yeah, now is... Yeah. That's good. That's I should a, resend it out. You should resend it out. <laughs> hey, Chef Keller, I don't know if you're looking at someone. Um, so, you're, so you leave Yontville, you make the move to L.A. Why L.A. over San Francisco? Um... San Francisco was too easy. There was, a, there was chefs that had, um, uh, people that had worked for Thomas yeah. Keller that lived there and sort of had started restaurants. Um, I was very, very comfortable. When I moved to the French Laundry from, like, my small t- hometown, I mean, I really put myself, like, outside the box and was, like, in a, in a very uncomfortable environment. Um, and I wanted, I wanted that same feeling for myself again um, it's because I felt that I learned a ton throughout that process. Yeah, I mean, nothing like being out of your comfort zone in your early 30s. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a little bit, little less moxie than your early 20s, right? Exactly. Um, so when does the idea for Odium start to take place? Had it sort of been in the back of your mind at the French Laundry? You know, when does that start? Because it's a statement restaurant. I mean, it's a, it's a very much a statement restaurant. It's very much, I'm coming to L.A., I have this pedigree uh, behind me. Let's go. 
Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, when I when I first got down here, I did a little consulting. I consulted in Korea. I consulted in Lebanon. Um, I wasn't sure I... And you can make a whole life out of that. Yeah. I mean, that, I know I know chefs who do the consulting job all day long. But it, it wasn't as rewarding. Sure. As from what I was, was doing. Shocking, right? Um, <laughs> then, you know... <laughs> and then, um, you know, I, I looked into television a little bit. Sure. Uh, just being in L.A. and whatnot. Like, you know, what other aspects of food can we get into? Um, I was tapped on the shoulder to do, to do the project um, by the Broad. And, um, and then initially I said no. Um, I, you know, I don't want to do a restaurant. And then I started consulting, whatever. And then I came back from consulting and they were like, you know, they tapped me on the shoulder again. And I yeah. was like, okay, what's, what's the project? And they told me and I was like, okay, you're going to open, you know, here's a part of downtown that we're really trying to like, um, you know, really, really trying to get do something here. We're trying to get people actively walking around this space. It's a beautiful part of downtown. Amazing architects, um, amazing arts. Um, here's your opportunity to build you know, build a brand new restaurant from the ground up, freestanding. Here's your opportunity to partner with somebody like uh, the Eli and Edith Road Foundation. They have a little bit of money too. Yes, I've heard. I've heard <laughs> they do okay. They did okay. They did okay. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're building this museum and giving it to the city. I mean, this is, you know, of their, of their own artwork. And it's just, it's literally incredible. Um, and because of all the players and the opportunity and sort of the time in my life where I was like, okay, well, here I am. I'm, you know, I'm dating a girl um, that, you know, I'm probably going to marry, end up, you know, now I'm married with two kids. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Um, so, you know, it's like, I, it's just a time where I'm starting my family. Yeah here's an opportunity to like make a, you know, make an imprint in, into the city uh, potentially and, and, and to do something that is not just like, Hey, I'm going to open a restaurant. You yeah. know, it's like, this is, this is for other reasons. And because of that, you know, I, I felt like it was the right thing to do. So all the players are in place. You have the load space, which is sort of 60% of it, you know, yeah. where it's like, you have the money, you have the space yeah. and things like that. Um, Obviously, you knew that people were going to say, here's the guy who's been in French Laundry for 12 years. How do you define yourself, uh, but also still pay respect to where you, you came from? Yeah. I mean, it was very, it was a, it was a tough process, to yeah. be very honest with you. I, I had to really, really sit down and think. And it was like, what does a restaurant mean to me? Yep. You know, what does a restaurant mean to, to the community? What does, like, what do I want out of it? And, you know, it wasn't like, hey, this is going to be a destination place that people are going to travel all over the world from. This is not going to be a, um, this is going to be, you know, a restaurant to me, I want my family to grow up in a restaurant. I want, I want um, to have, you know, great staff and great culture in that restaurant. I want it to be someplace where people can go and celebrate and, and make memories at. I want it to be a place where people can come that live next door and come down and have a roast chicken and a beer. You know, mm -hmm. like, I wanted all of these different things, which is, you know, it's, it's tough because I'm like, now I'm casting a, a really wide net. Um, but which is sometimes really tough for the restaurant if you if people can't say in a sentence, the restaurant is this, yeah. the restaurant's that, and you fall into that trap, it's like, you're everything, so you're sort of nothing. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, what do you want to eat tonight? Like, are, you're not going to be like, you know, I don't know. I want, I want to eat, you know, a very eclectic menu. Yeah, I need like a roast chicken, <laughs> but then I also need to make sure I have a raw bar that has a good wine list. It's like, what? No, you're like, I want Italian, I want Thai. Yeah. I like, you know, like you, you go you go for those sort of things. So it was, you know, it was, it was rolling the dice a little bit, but, you know, ultimately it's been... It was a great process, and it's been, you know, we've been very successful, which is which is not easy to do in a restaurant. 
No. Um, How do you feel you've settled into uh, being a neighborhood spot? No, I mean, I think downtown is such a, like, it's still growing so, yeah. so much, and there's so many restaurants opening, and then the culture and, and the restaurant industry um, uh, in L.A. is so fickle. I think that, you know, it's 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 hard. Um, we definitely have our regulars. I mean, we have one guy that's been there over 170 times. Like, it's insane, you know. Um, He's the guy who watched the final table in 12 hours. <laughs> that's that guy. You yeah. know, um, so Odium's up and running. You have a few other places up and running. Uh, I know that you, you know, we're in free play. You have CG Boyd, CJ Boyd's Fried Chicken. When do you start thinking about opportunities outside of the restaurants? Like, when does something like TV start coming back into it? Because I know the comp- you had done like the Boku's door, yeah. and like, so you had done cooking competitions and things outside of that were straight restaurant. But making that commitment to be away from the restaurant for something that isn't restaurant-related is a big decision. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think, um, first of all, it, it just it just happens. People are asking you. People send you emails, you know. Right, because I'm sure you get head up all the time, as I know, personally. <laughs> but, uh, like, people are probably like, hey, do you want to do this? Hey, can we come in? Hey, let's do a video, right? Yeah. Like, that's such a part of the game these days. Yeah, and, you know, so... So with it constantly on your radar because you're constantly getting asked for it, um, you know it's it's about you know it's about choosing the right thing and doing doing the right thing. So for me, for me, it was a very very conscious choice. I said no to a lot of different things. I said yes to this because it was uh, because yes to the final table because it was you know it was an amazing opportunity to do something with 24 chefs that are international so mm-hmm. now it's not just on a stage it's not like one-on-one it's you know you're talking about international it's a it's a partnership in a competition that's tough too mm-hmm. um there's you know and it's netflix i mean their 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 bandwidth is insane and insane. you know and, and i think that you know like as you as you think about your career as a chef and you think about longevity you know you have you have to think about relevance I mean, odium is a 230 seat restaurant in downtown area which is you know doesn't have a ton of foot traffic yes we're next to the museum yes there's arts and stuff like that but you know when if you think about four years ago i would walk around that neighborhood you couldn't get a cup of coffee like there no. was nothing around that neighborhood now there's a the guy weekend. who sells coffee and he takes venmo yes I'm exactly <laughs> i know that guy i was like you're smart um so what pushed you over the edge though because even signing up for tv that is unscripted that's reality based you know you could do an interview they can definitely cut it a certain sort of way that makes you the villain or something like that and um obviously you won but 23 people lost and some people lost very early and when you're sitting at home you have no idea what it took to get on that stage you just go oh you're the first two losers yeah so what convinced you what put you over the edge to saying like it's worth it no matter what the outcome is there was only one outcome for me. Like, I, like no, and I'm serious. I mean, not to sound, not, not, not to be arrogant in any way, but like, literally, you know, I was like, I'm, ref- I'm taking time away from my family. I'm taking time away from my restaurant and my crew. I'm taking time. You know, I, I was yeah. the chef de cuisine of the, one of the best restaurants in the world. I competed in, you know, the largest culinary competition in the world. Like the toughest. Co- I mean, yeah, you know, I mean that competition is. Nuts. Yeah, I mean, it's like all of, you know, all of this has made me ready for what I'm about to right. do. But ultimately, you know, I'm a reflection of all of those other things. So I was like, I have to, like, I mean, I have to do, I have to win. I have to win is what I kept telling myself. Um, 
and you know I don't think I would have been happy otherwise now I think I would have been like thinking about it but like if if I would have if I would have lost early or even you know like I remember the first time we went into the to the last challenge yeah. and I was like I literally didn't even speak to speak to anybody you know I was so focused Game and face. like I, you know like no I'm here to do a job that's it I mean they did a really nice job in producing it where it seemed like a very friendly competition yeah, I mean, I think it has to do with the caliber of chefs that were that were there because they, were, you know, there's and everybody's from a different country essentially. You know, it's like you're talking to people, and we all have similar paths and similar walks of lives, and and ultimately we learned a lot from each other. It was an, it was it was actually surprisingly collaborative. How did you enjoy cooking with a partner that you've never really cooked with before at, in that in that type of intensity and, and uh, you know situation? Um, I think it's really tough to be honest with you. I think it's it's tough to it's tough to trust somebody that you don't know what their food tastes like. You know, sure. somebody has an idea, somebody says to do this and and you know, being being a chef of a restaurant, being you know, and we're we're both that guy. We're both chefs of a restaurant, you know, it's like it's hard for him to trust me, it's hard for me to trust him. And well that American Canadian <laughs> rivalry has been so deep for so yeah. long. <laughs> so I mean it wasn't it wasn't an easy thing, but ultimately, you know, you learn from it and the kitchen is a collaborative process. Now having uh, worked under Chef Keller must have prepared you in some way for that the fin- the finale. Because they're bringing out all these incredible chefs from all over the world, but your old boss could have easily sat at the table as well. Yeah. Um, did you feel that that gave you a bit of a leg up, or did you feel that by that point it was, you know, anyone's game? I mean, for for somebody like Darren, Darren that's you know in in Calgary, yeah, you know, that's a small town. Like yeah. that's he he doesn't have the experience, you know, for that. For somebody like you know Shane, he's a chef of Pietateri, a restaurant in Hong Kong. Um, you know, he's he's got a leg up. Yeah. Someone like Mark Best, he's on, you know, the top 50 awards. Like, he's... No you know, schlub. Yeah, he's, you know, he's been there. He's, you know, these guys are his peer. You right. Know? It's like, it's like, hey, when we're done, we're going to get that beer afterward. Yeah. And you're like, hey, guys, <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm hanging out, too. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, for me, you know, one of the questions that people ask me a lot was like, are you nervous to cook for these people? And the, the honest answer is no. And the reason is, is because I have cooked for a lot of those people. And... You know, I've cooked for a, a lot of other people, and I've been put in those circumstances. I've been, you know, I've been lucky enough. Doing the Boku's Door, you know how many, I mean, I sat at the table with Paul Boku's ordering my produce for Boku's uh, Door and truffles. I mean, that's insane. That is insane. You know, like, the opportunities that I've been able to have through through the culinary world is, is, is amazing. I've been very, very fortunate, and I yeah. think that um, that prepared me, you know, to, to sit across from those guys. So what was it like at the moment you won? How did it feel? The lights were very bright. <laughs> I mean, it feels like the lights are getting brighter. But, you know, saying that you're going in, there was only one option. Did it feel like, well, of course, I mean, duh. I knew that. I'm surprised you guys didn't know that. No, I mean, I to be very honest with you, I at the, the last dish, I don't, I, you know, I wasn't confident that I won no. at all. Um, I was surprised. Not, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't think that I was going to be the, not that I didn't think. Like, I, it was... There were some good options out there. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, like it's not a guaranteed thing that I'm going to win this. And the competition, like, you know, the dishes that we thought we re- did really well on, some of them we didn't. So, you know, ultimately, um, it was a huge surprise. And it was, 
you know, it was uh, it, it was flattering. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm on the stage with four guys, uh, three guys that I really respect. Four guys, Andrew too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, Shout four, out to Andrew. <laughs> uh, four guys that I really respect, and you know, like it was. It's it's kind of sad in a way because you you know you've it's been. It's like you don't want to you don't want to. You don't want those guys to lose, but yeah. you definitely don't want them to win over you. Yeah, you know, it's, so it's a little, it's a little bit of that, you know. But and the camaraderie, you know, like you know, Shane, Darren, Mark. I mean, these guys, I have a tremendous amount of respect. Oh for them. yeah, they're incredibly talented. So, um, when it's all done, now that it's out, what is it like now? I mean, having essentially cooked around the world in those episodes, but also the flip side of being on a competition show that's international what's changed for you cooking wise what's changed for you career wise I mean career wise I think there's there's you know there's more opportunities that are coming in um, you know fast yeah. um, and I think that it's you know very important to sort of kind of lay low and sort of figure things out and, and go gradual not to like jump on everything obviously um, well thank you for doing the show but, you know, <laughs> obviously this was the tough decision this was a tough decision but I you know ultimately I decided to do it okay. yeah <laughs> no um, you know but it, you know the, the recognized there's a lot of recognition you know you don't yesterday you know yesterday I was walking down the street in, in a mall and um, you know I had two people come up to me and ask to take a picture I was in Vegas the other week for, for Boca's door thing, you know, walking down, walking down the casino, same thing. Um, so you're like, it's, it's kind of strange. This happened multiple times. So it's kind of strange to see that like, oh yeah, like people, people, people know who you are and are recognizing you on the street in a different capacity. You know, right. It's not like, it's not like only chefs. Right. It's like, hey, what's up? <laughs> we cook together. Yeah. Have you seen a bump in the restaurants? Yeah. The restaurants are, the restaurants have been doing really well. So um, ultimately that plan has paid off for the marketing. For sure. I mean, for sure. And I, you know, I hope I mean, this is, it's, it's been, you know, it's been out for 20, uh, one month exactly today. So, you know, like it's, there's a holiday season right around the corner. That's going to happen. Oh yeah. I, think I mean, people, people will, are going to finally, you know, it's like, oh, I finally got that time off. I'm going to binge yeah, it. Yeah. So, you know, we've seen, we've seen a lot of traction. I think, I think it's going to grow more and more. It's exciting. Awesome. Well, Chef, it is very exciting. Congratulations on everything. Thank you. Appreciate uh, it. If people want to find about all of your projects and things like that, where can they go? Uh, they can go to timothyhollingsworth.com. Cool. That's great. How's your gram game? You on the gram? Yes. Yeah. Chef Timothy Hollingsworth. Easy to follow. And if people want to watch The Final Table, all episodes are available on Netflix. It's a good watch. It's yeah. good for the holiday season. Yeah. It's good because you can cook and watch people cook. It's really about... I mean, what I like about it is really about the cooking. There's so much cooking. There's a lot of cooking. There's a lot of cooking. There's a, not, not, not a lot of fluff, a lot of food. Beautiful uh, dishes. A lot of beautiful, beautiful dishes. dishes. Uh, well, thank you so much. Appreciate taking the time. Absolutely. Sit with Thanks us. for having me. Uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for agreeing to this. The briefcase is in the kitchen. It's <laughs> in the walk-in. Uh, we have another song from the archives. Um, and then that's it. We're going to give you the whole episode. So awesome. that's it. Awesome. So, song from the archives. Then we're out. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening on Snacky Tunes here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.